0: Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, a service of the clinical manager source. Today, we're sharing interviews with leaders in the home health and hospice industry from our premium podcast. The premium podcast is available by subscription for exclusive access to interviews and discussions on a wide range of topics, specifically curated for clinical managers in home health and hospice. It's like having coffee with your own personal consultant and about the same price for the coffee. You can also get access to our private Facebook group and early access to courses, further conversations, and discounts on all of our offerings. If you're interested, please go to www.theclinicalmanagersource.com and look under subscriptions. We'd be happy to have you. I wanted to let you know of a series that we're doing on some varied topics over the next quarter, October, November, and December. We're gonna be looking at three subject areas, one of which is technology, the other compliance, and other is management and leadership. In each of these topic areas, we'll have episodes that address certain areas of management and interest to the clinical manager, but we'll also be having interviews with experts. For an example, with the technology series, we'll interview a clinical informatics nurse as well as other technical people in the field. And with compliance, we'll interview a nurse auditor who audits records for clients underneath attorney-client privilege. We'll do a review of the most recent OIG report of a review that they did with a hospice in Florida. And we'll have some other guests as we move along to talk about the role of compliance for the clinical manager and their overall experiences. In addition, we'll have areas in management and leadership, really kind of focusing a little bit more on the topic of new manager resources. We'll have these episodes presented and mixed up through the next three months, so we're looking forward to providing this information to you, so let us know how we do. Welcome to the Clinical Manager Source Podcast. I'm Julia Moroni, your host. With me today, I'm talking to Christina Andrews. Christina, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Julia. Let me introduce you to Christina. Christina is the Director of Professional Services at Access. Access is a healthcare technology company that does home health, home care, hospice, and palliative care sectors. Christina is a seasoned strategic leader in home based care with 20 years of experience in operational strategic planning and development, marketing and sales, business development. Operations and team management. Her responsibilities included service as a business development manager, hospice administrator, regional leader supporting growth for multi-state operations, and a healthcare consultant supporting growth optimization. Christina has a bachelor's from the University of Toledo and is a a yay a Six Sigma Green Belt <laughs> from Villanova. So. Congratulations on that one. I know that was recent. Thank you. <laughs>
1: recent and a challenge.
0: Yeah, it's big, big, a lot of challenge there. It's uh, so valuable too with all the work that you do. So you can definitely apply it. So I invited Christina here today to talk about a couple of topics, but one of the ones that with her background and certainly of our interest is looking at how clinical managers interact with sales and growth staff and organizations. Oftentimes I see the clinical managers really out of the loop in what's going on. In an agency for growth, we're focused so much on the clinical side, just getting the patient seen, and we're not really aware of what's happening out there to get some growth in the door. Wouldn't you say so, Christina?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, and I, I think it's just a natural delineation that occurs because we all typically are running at 200 miles an hour and providing that admission, that opening of that, that patient and family into a service, and then that care journey of that ongoing care through discharge, that entails a lot. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. And so that collaboration of how do we serve more? And how do we work better together to serve more? It doesn't always come natural because we stay in our own lanes.
0: Yeah. That whole relationship, it's, it's the relationship between the clinical manager and sales and growth. It's always a challenge. And salespeople are trying to sell that easy and good, that it's easy to refer to this agency, it's easy to get people on service, and that they're good because they're not going to have the patients aren't going to be readmitted to the hospital, they won't be readmitted back to the nursing facility, that the agency will take good clinical care of the patients and they won't be calling the the physician offices. So we see the clinical manager not being engaged in that. And what do you see about some of that experience? I mean, you've worked in many organizations about that interplay between sales and clinical managers.
1: Yeah, I always like to use this visualization of a chair. When we think of a chair, it has four legs, purposefully, right? Because if it only had two, I can't say my arms or my abs are that strong, but purposefully. And so when we think about the four-legged chair, you have operations, you have finance, you have clinical, and then you have your growth, right? Sales and marketing, Marcom. And, And above those four legs is the seat in which we sit, right? And so all of that other is part of the brand of an organization. And so going back to, you know, what I said, that naturally we we do tend to stay in the lanes in which we operate in. It. it truly is up to that organization to drive a structure of collaboration. One of the things that I focused on in some previous experiences was getting a synergistic approach starting at onboarding. So. When we think about that, you have clinical individuals who are onboarding, you have growth and sales leaders who are onboarding. And so, you know, does an organization have within their, their onboarding training shadowing opportunities? And that really starts at the leader level. So in experience as a sales manager, I had the opportunity to sit with my clinical director. And sitting with my clinical director, of course, I had multiple questions because at the end of the day, what I was selling was her services. I was selling her clinical team. I was selling her brand. And the light bulb started going off. And so in this conversation, we created a structure in essence of ensuring that the referral to admission process was educated not only to the clinical team, but also to the sales team what does that look like? What does that sound like? What is the needed information to help support the why home health or the why hospice, why now? And whose role and responsibility was it in helping to gather information, helping to assess that information? It transitioned into what does that daily care look like? Paint the picture for me as a sales leader. What are some of those pain points of you as a clinical director having to orchestrate that daily care with call-offs and patients canceling their visits for the day, you name it. I wanted to really put myself in, in her shoes. It then continued on into satisfaction surveys for family, then which also equated into overtime, the quality outcomes based upon the clinical care that was delivered. And packaging all that together, it was like, this is what I'm selling. This is the ease of use that I'm selling. This is how we solve for care delivery pain points. This is the outcomes, you know, that we are receiving as an organization as a whole. And now I can package that together. So by me asking those questions and, and helping to put together more of a structured onboarding process, the clinical manager had buy-in to what it was that we did every single day. She's like, wow, you're not just out there selling cookies. no. <laughs> Yeah. We're selling what it is that you guys have to manage on a daily basis and how you solve for our referral partners' pain points. Then we reverse the roles. So I said, Well, let me teach you a little bit more about what we do from a sales perspective. So I was able to talk about those specific techniques and concepts of how we look at referral patterns. We're determining our top referring partners. Um, our referring partners that might have more opportunity to utilize our services, how we structure that and more of a strategic approach when it comes to sales calls throughout the week, and then what our brand looks like and sounds like. And so she was able to glean, like, wow, this, again, it's not just cookies and cupcakes. I mean, there's a key strategy in, in helping us to serve more patients because really at the end of the day, that's what runs through our blood. We- we don't wake up and say, hey, I mean, we we're we're passionate about our vocation in the care at home
0: industry. Some of the things that I think clinical managers don't realize is that oftentimes if we screw up on the clinical side, if we're late going to somebody or we don't admit someone, the sales folks really have to deal with that relationship. You've worked hard to get at that referral and then you have to patch stuff up. Right.
1: I love that you you bring that up, Julia, because. So one of the things that we we then implemented after onboarding was that ongoing collaborative relationship. The clinical manager would invite me into IDG and case conference. And in those clinical meetings, I would talk about our top accounts, some of the pain points, and also the opportunities for improvement. So if we had issues with our referral to admission process, or if we had opportunity for improvement with our rehospitalization rate I was able to position it in a positive manner to develop buy-in for my stakeholders which are the clinicians buy-in from my stakeholders on how we can correct what needs to be corrected so like many performance improvement plans for our key you know and then from a sales perspective if the clinical manager might have had a you know uh, a, a a uh, patient or family call and say, you know, your salesperson promised me the moon and stars. I'm not getting the moon and stars. The clinical manager also had the opportunity to attend our sales meetings and talk about our opportunity for improvement, mm-hmm. of how we shouldn't overpromise and underdeliver. Again, going back to our core, we all want to serve more patients and we have to do the best jobs regardless of what teams we operate in.
0: That's hugely valuable, Christina. Absolutely. I think it's it's so important. And certainly we talk about how on the clinical end, how do, can we be of service? How do we, if we know what's going on out there with the patients and what the sales folks are trying to do, we talk a lot about competency on the clinical side, nurses being competent and delivering certain types of care, or using certain technology. One of the things that it is important for the clinical manager to make sure that their staff are competent. I mean, that's part of the role. What are your thoughts around that? I mean, certainly clinical managers need to ensure that competency, but it also translates to being able to sell well, right? And, I mean, you can't sell bad care <laughs> and yeah, knowing that as that well, you know, what is it that we are trying to do?
1: Yeah. And so this is where I'll kind of geek out a little bit with, with <laughs> data. You know, so When we think about an organization who is servicing a market area, you know, key to the brand is understanding the patient population that must be serviced, not our traditional here's our home health box, here's our hospice box, you know, these are the core services that we offer. You know, truly utilizing data within the market served or going to be served it will highlight clinical gaps of care it will also highlight as you mentioned earlier rehospitalization it will also paint the picture of discharge instructions from the inpatient environment and adherence to those discharge instructions and so clinically you know when i would sit down with my clinical manager and i would slice and dice this for her she was able to back into wow These are the top five diagnoses who are impacting our hospitalization, hospital, our key hospital accounts. Here are the top five diagnoses who are being discharged from a skilled nursing facility and not adhering to their discharge instructions. So we were able to to truly rebuild our clinical brand based upon that needs assessment that we did within the market search. So, so we built it together. You know, this is where we needed to ensure. That we had clinical competencies to fill this clinical care da- gap, and then we produced produce the outcomes that positioned us as a preferred provider within those markets served. However, you know, with that, we know clinical managers wear a dozen hats, a dozen hats. And they can't be the educator, they can't be the onboarding, you know, FTE, the ongoing training of professional FTE. And so, you know, I recognize that having to stand up service diversification within your home health or your hospice care at home organizations can be difficult, especially if you don't have the staffing structure to support it. But that's where technology can really help to come into play on how technology can solve onboarding or training and continued development.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's so important. I mean, what you're saying is that it's really great for the clinical manager to have an idea about what that looks like. How can we teach our, our clinicians to do better care? I mean, even if we have a specific need, like ortho or wounds or something along those lines, that data is really fascinating and sometimes it's difficult to understand but to work it out and kind of translate it down into something that makes a difference for the patient, I think really is very helpful.
1: Yeah. It it reminds me of an experience that I had very new to my sales role. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna use the term stakeholders. So we've already talked about the data component, but the other thing to your point we have to keep in mind are our key stakeholders, that actual experience, that user experience. And so when we think of our stakeholders, you know, it is our partners, our healthcare partners, it's our payers within the community, but it's also the patients and families that we serve. And so on this particular day, I was called to a hospital system that was based in Virginia at the time and been calling upon this case manager, telling her, we are the provider of choice and this is why, just give us an opportunity. So she did. And she decided to refer an end-stage cardiac patient who was on debutomy, my first referral ever from this hospital system. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. And so I head out and I remember walking into this gentleman's room and I had never seen anyone so gray in my life, like ash gray. So I was a bit taken back because I only play in RN on Grey's Anatomy. So. I was a bit taken back and I just remember my approach is just tell me your story and tell me what you want in, in so many words. And so his thing was he just wanted to get detached from this hospital wall and to go home. And I guess his main room, I remember him telling me, had these windows that overlooked the water and his sailboat and so on and so forth. And that's what he wanted to see because he was having a hard time sleeping. He was sleeping in a recliner because he couldn't lay down. So I picked up the phone. I called my, I'm like, I'm going to make this happen for you, sir. Again, maybe I was overpromising the moon and stars here. I'm like, I'm going to help make this happen for you, sir. So I called my clinical manager and she goes, Christina, we never did dibutamine at home. We've never done dibutamine at home. I don't even know if we're clinically competent to do Mm -hmm. at home. I said, oh, let's call our national infusion person and let's call our local pharmacy. And so we just got together and as a team, we pulled some resources from the organization, local resources. We finally, we found a nurse within the agency who actually worked in an ICU. So she was familiar with dibutamine pumps and that clinical process. And we just put it together and we, we were able to get him discharged to home safely. And, you know, he chose the day that he wanted to pass. And I remember him calling me up and saying, you know, Christina, thank you for making this happen. Today is my day. Kelly's on her way over right now. And I have a chair sitting next to my bed and we're going to unplug me together. And that was the story that I forget And for him to call me. It was such a blessing. And so that's where the synergy comes into play. Do the right thing for the patient and working together to make sure that confidently we can act with confidence and provide that care because it's the right thing to do for that patient.
0: So powerful. That's one patient. How many others now are getting to be at home and doing that service? It seems like it's now pretty regular. It's wonderful that you did that. And- have that as a an example it can happen working at those things don't Don't close the door you know for for we don't have nurses, we won't be able to do that if you just closed it then and said we don't we can't do it, well, you know the opportunity went with it as well as the the relationship with that referral source
1: exactly, yep, and I remember her the discharge case manager calling me back and saying, "Christina, y'all knocked it out of the park." And I gave you the most difficult one purposefully. And I was like, well, thanks. You know, so I was able to show her that we, we say yes, because the patients are deserving of the benefit that they're entitled to. And we'll figure out how to make it happen. Now, Now, with that said, you know, leaning back into this is where that interviewing of the key stakeholders truly come into play, because you don't want to be reactive. You want to be able to be proactive on how you clinically manage your population. And it does take time to put those service diversification or clinically diversified services together for organizations. It's not something that happens overnight.
0: No, although it, I've seen it happen overnight, but <laughs> for uh, a day or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. But it, but it definitely is something that, with planning, and and certainly look now with all the competition we have in home health and hospice across the country with agencies vying for patients, being at that diversified, working together with your sales is so important. So let's shift a little bit. You mentioned technology and you work for a technology company, so I can't not ask you questions about it. right? What What do we have out there, Christina? What are some areas that we can used to make the clinician's job easier. And that's always been the challenge, right? These older systems tend to be really primarily have kind of came about because they were billing systems. And you put that in the hand of a clinician and you're not, it doesn't flow. And that's what we see out there. So how are we doing with technology?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I love that you asked this question because recently Access and Symmetry conducted a CERN East Coast to West Coast, and we had roughly a little over 1,800 respondents. And it was focused on engagement, engagement in our clinical workforce. And so one of the factors, 80% of the respondents One of the factors that they stated that is important to driving not only engagement, but retention is easy to use software. So 80% of those respondents said, hey, if you've got easy to use software for me, your likelihood of retaining me has incrementally just increased. And it's important for my engagement. And so when we dug a little bit deeper into that, thinking about what those pain points are, Really is it's about the ease of use. We've gone from paper, ease of use not so much to clunky laptops, a little bit more ease of use. The fact that you're serving patients in rural areas and urban areas, and you got Wi-Fi, so on and so forth. So you know there was issues with that. To your point, billing systems that were designed to then meet the home health population, not so much the hospice or the palliative population and really kind of left out that home care population from a private duty perspective. You know, so ease of use of enabling those caregivers, those clinicians, the clinical care teams to provide care without it being a barrier is key. How does that impact their uptime and downtime? From the time the phone rings to the time that the, the claim is billed what does that ease look like also we talked about service diversification a few moments ago and so how does that that technology component incorporate clinical intelligence kind of that nurse on your shoulder because if we think about the scarcity that we have right now you know within within our with our care at home industry and we have our aging population that continues to grow you've got a lot of the, the, the inpatient clinicians who have just left the industry at, at large and has decided to, to go into real estate. So when we think about that, if those individuals do decide to come back into industry, are they going to go back into the inpatient environment? Or are they going to consider launching into the care at home industry? And so that clinical intelligence on the shoulder to help translate that learning transfer is crucial. If you've got new grads coming out of college, how does the technology support new grads coming out of college to just launch into the care at home industry? You know, what, what is KPS? What is PPS? You know, what is stage four wound? You know, so how, how does it support that training in the moment? Because when you're in a patient's home, you have just moments to think about that care plan. Mm -hmm. And what it is that you need to do and what it is that you need to document to ensure quality and you minimize risk. Um, You know, also when we think about training and onboarding, how does technology play a role into the ease of use of training and onboarding to help with maybe distribution of staff? You know, so those that are graduating, those that are not thinking about going back into the acute environment and would like to join the post-acute environment. How does technology solve for that? So when we look at that 80% that said it would improve my engagement, it would improve my retention, there's a lot to be
0: said there. It's interesting you guys did that. That was, that's wonderful. That's wonderful information with things that we know already, but mm-hmm. you know, definitely puts the credence to it. Yes of the things that we like to have our listeners think about and know is get to know you a little bit. Their career passing, matching that up with what their own goals are. So tell us a little bit about you coming into Home Health and Hospice and some of your first experiences as a manager.
1: My journey was pretty much carved for me with the geriatric population. So I had the opportunity to serve in the skilled nursing environment and then transition into the care at home. And so I'm very passionate about helping patients and families get connected to the benefit that they're entitled to and that they deserve. So my, my first management experience was in sales. So that's why going back to the beginning of our conversation, you might've felt or heard the passion of that synergistic approach because. You know, my success was my team's success. And my team's success was dependent upon the, the collaboration of that clinical stool and that sales stool. And the stronger and more in lockstep those two legs were, really the success at the end of the day was that example that I gave of that Dimmunibib patient. Throughout my career, I have had opportunity to work also in addition to the sales team as an operational leader to work alongside of fabulous clinical operators and, and learning from them how to support their success, whether it was through survey, QAPI, you know, performance improvement plan, KPIs, key performance indicator optimization, you know, through the painful EMR realignment. So really understanding their pain points from, a, from an operator's perspective, it, it carved the way for me and something that I guess I, w- I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen for myself as a receptionist at that skilled nursing facility. You know, so, so, you know, really being able to lean in, support and grow and have a bi-directional relationship, not just a one-directional relationship mm-hmm. uh, is key, you know, key in management, more of a, a servient relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Wonderful points there. With that big career that you've had, you may been on for 20 years, you've been in the business, really successful, different things. Tell us something is there something that you would have done differently if you had the chance? Oh,
1: yeah. You have to,
0: yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> so my, my transition from industry to consultant to now industry technology, one of the things that I have reflected upon in my past is I didn't always seek my own professional development. Mm-hmm. I and allowed more of the the company focused professional development which was which was great i mean i'm, I'm here today because of that company focused professional development but i found myself within the last three years of being exposed um to the industry in a different in a different light and now i'm hungry i'm i'm hungry and i'm seeking out knowledge to support my my profession to su- support my ability to serve clients and to serve patients and families in a different way and to provide education to the industry of what we all can do differently to continue to position the care at home industry in more of a sexy light, if you must. If I could go back to my younger self, I would tap around the shoulder and say, carve your own professional development path. Don't wait for others to tell you what it needs to look like because we all have that inside voice of inspiration uh what we want to aspire to that inner light our true north and being able to tap into that sooner who would i be today
0: Mm. i don't know that's powerful well great christina thank you anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up
1: Oh, gosh. You know, that, that's kind of like that, that Cracker Jack box of what's the prize inside. size. I would just, yeah, I would definitely just encourage the care at home industry, the clinical to, you know, really think about, you know, what what their pain points are at meeting that care delivery need that engages your employees at hello, your future employees at recruitment and impacts that retention and so if you haven't considered doing a survey and asking your current employee what y'all have the opportunity for improvement do it because it's going to highlight opportunity for y'all and then you know of course you know how technology can play a role in that because we really want our patients and families to be able to connect with your clinicians in a way that there's no barriers Barriers to care, barriers to care delivery, barriers to that patient experience, because that patient experience is going to either make or break success for an organization in the future.
0: Absolutely. Good words. Christina, thank you so much for your insight. I really appreciate your time as well. Great. And that's all for today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Julia, for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring opportunities, please visit our website, theclinicalmanagersource.com under the menu for about and contact and check out our advertising opportunities. See you the next time.